0: chapter 17 of the lone wolf this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by steve mattingly the lone wolf by louis joseph france chapter 17 the forlorn hope established behind his splendid mahogany desk in his office at the Minister de la Guerre, or moving majestically abroad, attired in frock coat and glossy topper, or lending the dignity of his presence to some formal ceremony in that beautiful uniform which appertained unto his office, Monsieur Hector Ducoy cut an imposing figure. A bed—it was sadly otherwise. Lanyard switched on the bedside light, turning it so that it struck full upon the face of the sleeper. And as he sat down, smiled. The minister of war lay upon his back, his distinguished corpulence severely dislocating the chaste simplicity of the bedclothing. Athwart his shelving chest, fat hands were folded in a gesture affectingly naive. His face was red, a noble highlight shone upon the promontory of his bald pate. His mouth was open, to the best of his unconscious ability he was giving a protracted imitation of a dog-fight and he was really exhibiting sublime virtuosity one readily distinguished individual howls growls yelps against an undertone of blended voices of excited non-combatants as suddenly as though someone wearying of the entertainment had lifted the needle from that record it was discontinued the minister of war stirred uneasily in his sleep muttered a naughty word Opened one eye, scowled, opened the other. He blinked furiously, half blinded but still able to make out the disconcerting silhouette of a man seated just beyond the glare, a quiet presence that moved not but eyed him steadfastly, an apparition the more arresting because of its very immobility. Rapidly, the face of the Minister of War lost several shades of purple. He moistened his lips nervously with a thick, dry tongue, and convulsively he clutched the bedclothing high and tight about his neck, as though labouring under the erroneous impression that the sanctity of his person was threatened. "'What do you want, monsieur?' he stuttered in a still small voice, which he would have been the last to acknowledge his own. "'I desire to discuss a matter of business with monsieur,' replied the intruder, after a small pause. "'If you will be good enough to calm yourself.' "'I am perfectly calm.' but here the minister of war verified with one swift glance an earlier impression to the effect that the trespasser was holding something that shone with metallic lustre and his soul began to curl up round the edges there are eighteen hundred francs in my pocket-book about he managed to articulate my watch is on the stand here you will find the family plate in the dining-room safe behind the buffet the key is on my ring and the jewels of madame my wife are in a small strong blocks beneath the head of her bed the combination pardon monsieur labours under a misapprehension the housebreaker interposed dryly had one desired these valuables one would readily have taken them without going to the trouble of disturbing the repose of monsieur i have however already mentioned the nature of my errand eh demanded the minister of war what is that but give me of your mercy one chance to explain. I have never wittingly harmed you, monsieur, and if I have done so without my knowledge, rest assured you have but to petition me through the proper channels, and I will be only too glad to make amends. Still you do not listen, the other insisted. Come, monsieur ducroix, calm yourself. I haven't robbed you because I have no wish to rob you. I haven't harmed you for I have no wish to harm you nor have i any wish other than to lay before you as representing government a certain matter of state business there was silence while the minister of war permitted this exhortation to sink in then apparently reassured he sat up in bed and eyed his untimely visitor with a glare little short of truculent eh what's that he demanded business what sort of business if you wish to submit to my consideration any matter of business "'How is it you break into my home at dead of night "'and rouse me in this brutal fashion?' "'Here his voice faltered, "'with a lethal weapon pointed at my head. "'Monsieur will admit he speaks under an error,' "'returned the burglar. "'I have yet to point this pistol at him. "'I should be very sorry to feel obliged to do so. "'I display it, in fact, "'simply that monsieur may not forget himself "'and attempt to summon servants "'in his resentment of this. "'I admit.' unusual method of introducing oneself to his attention when we understand each other better there will be no need for such precautions and then i shall put my pistol away so that the sight of it may no longer annoy monsieur it is true i do not understand you grumbled the minister of war why if your errand be peaceable break into my house because it was urgently necessary to see monsieur instantly monsieur will reflect upon the reception one would receive did one ring the front doorbell and demand audience at three o'clock in the morning well monsieur ducroy conceded dubiously then on reflection he iterated the monosyllable testily well what is it you want then i can best explain by asking monsieur to examine what i have to show him with this lanyard dropped the pistol into his coat pocket from another produced a gold cigarette case and from the store of this last, with meticulous care, selected a single cigarette. Regarding the Minister of War in a mystifying manner, he began to roll the cigarette briskly between his palms. A small shower of tobacco sifted to the floor. The rice paper cracked and came away, and with the bland smile and gesture of a professional conjurer, Lanyard exhibited a small cylinder of stiff paper between his thumb and index finger. Goggling resentfully, Monsieur Ducroix spluttered. Eh? What impudence is this? His smile unchanged, Lanyard bent forward and silently dropped the cylinder into the Frenchman's hand. At the same time, he offered him a pocket magnifying glass. What is this? Ducroix persisted stupidly. What? What? If Monsieur will be good enough to unroll the papers and examine them with the aid of this glass— with a wondering grunt the other complied unrolling several small sheets of photographer's printing-out paper to which several extraordinarily complicated and minute designs had been transferred strongly resembling laborious efforts to conventionalize a spider's web but no sooner had monsieur ducroy viewed these through the glass than he started violently uttered an exciting exclamation and subjected them to an examination both prolonged and exacting Monsieur is no doubt now satisfied, Lanyard inquired, when his patience would endure no longer. These are genuine? the Minister of War demanded sharply, without looking up. Monsieur can readily discern notations made upon the drawings by the inventor, Georges Heisman, in his own hand. Furthermore, each plan has been marked in the lower left-hand corner with the word accepted, followed by the initials of the German Minister of War i think this establishes beyond dispute the authenticity of these photographs of the plan for heisman's invention yes the minister of war agreed breathlessly you have the negatives from which these prints were made here lanyard said indicating a second cigarette and then with a movement so leisurely and careless that his purpose was accomplished before the other in his preoccupation was aware of it the adventurer leaned forward and swept up the prints from the counterpane in front of Monsieur Ducroy. Here, the Frenchman exclaimed, "Why do you do that?" Monsieur no longer questions their authenticity. I grant you that. Then I return to myself these prints pending negotiations for their transfer to France. How did you come by them? Demanded Monsieur Ducroy after a moment's thought. Need Monsieur ask? Is France so ill served by her spies? that you do not already know of the misfortune one captain ekstrom recently suffered in london ducroy shook his head lanyard received this indication with impatience it seemed hardly possible that the french minister of war could be either so stupid or so ignorant but with a patient shrug he proceeded to elucidate captain ekstrom he said but recently succeeded in photographing these plans and took them to london to sell to the english unfortunately for himself unhappily for perfidious albion captain ekstrom fell in with me and mistook me for downing street's representative and here are the plans you are the lone wolf then i am as far as concerns you monsieur merely the person in possession of these plans who offers them through you to france for a price But why introduce yourself to me in this extraordinary fashion for a transaction for which the customary channels with which you must be familiar are entirely adequate simply because ekstrom has followed me to paris lanyard explained indulgently did i venture to approach you in the usual way my chances of rounding out a useful life thereafter would be practically nil furthermore my circumstances are such that it has become necessary for me to leave france immediately without an hour's delay also secretly else i might as well remain here to be butchered now you command the only means i know of to accomplish my purpose and that is the price the only price you will have to pay me for these plans i don't understand you it is on schedule is it not that captain vauquelin of the aviation corps is to attempt a non-stop flight from paris to london this morning with two passengers in a new parrot biplane. That is so. Well, I must be one of those passengers, and I have a companion, a young lady, who will take the place of the other. It isn't possible, monsieur. Those arrangements are already fixed. You will countermand them. There is no time. You can get into telephonic communication with Port Aviation in two minutes. But the passengers have been promised. You will disappoint them the start is to be made in the first flush of daylight how could you reach port aviation in time in your motor-car monsieur it cannot be done it must if the start must be delayed till we arrive you will give orders that it shall be so delayed for a minute the minister of war hesitated then he shook his head definitely the difficulties are insuperable there is no such thing monsieur i am sorry it can't be done that is your answer "'It is regrettable, monsieur.' "'Very well.' Lanyard bent forward again, took a match from the stand on the bedside table, and struck it. Very calmly he advanced the flame towards the cigarette containing the roll of inflammable films. "'Monsieur!' Ducroy cried in horror. "'What are you doing?' Lanyard favoured him with a look of surprise. "'I am about to destroy these films and prints.' "'You must never do that.' "'Why not? They are mine to do with as I like.' "'If I cannot dispose of them at my price, "'I shall destroy them.' "'But, my God, what you demand is impossible. "'Stay, monsieur. "'Think what your action means to France. "'I have already thought of that. "'Now I must think of myself. "'But, one moment.' Ducroy sat up in bed "'and dangled hairy fat legs over the side. "'But one moment only, monsieur. "'Don't make me waste your matches. "'Monsieur, it shall be as you desire.' If it lies in my power to accomplish it. With this, the minister of war stood up and made for the telephone. In his agitation, forgetful of dressing gown and slippers, you must accomplish it, Monsieur Ducroy. Lanyard advised him gravely, puffing out the flame. For if you fail, you make yourself the instrument of my death. Here are the plans. You trust them to me, Ducroy asked in astonishment. But naturally. That makes it an affair of your honour, Lanyard explained suavely. With a gesture of graceful capitulation, the Frenchman accepted the little roll of film. Permit me, he said, to acknowledge the honour of Monsieur's confidence. Lanyard bowed low. One knows with whom one deals, Monsieur, and now, if you will be good enough to excuse me, he turned to the door. But, eh, where are you going? Ducroy demanded mademoiselle lanyard said pausing on the threshold that is the young lady who is to accompany me is waiting anxiously in the garden out yonder i go to find and reassure her and with your permission to bring her into the library where we will await monsieur when he has finished telephoning and ah repaired the deficiencies in his attire which one trusts he will forgive one's mentioning he bowed again impudently gaily and when the minister of war looked up again sheepishly from contemplation of his naked shanks had vanished in high feather lanyard made his way to a door at the rear of the house which gave upon the garden in his new social status of governmental protege disdaining any such commonplace avenue as that conservatory window whose fastenings he had forced on entering and boldly unbolting the door he ran out into the night to rejoin his beloved like a man waking to new life. But she was no more there. The bench was vacant, the garden deserted, the gateway yawning on the street. With a low, stifled cry, Lanyard turned from the bench and stumbled out to the junction of the cross street. But nowhere in their several perspectives could he see anything that moved. After some time, he returned to the garden and quartered it with the thoroughness of a pointer, beating a covert. But he did this hopelessly bitterly aware that the outcome would be precisely what it eventually was, that is to say, nothing. He was kneeling beside the bench, scrutinising the turf with microscopic attention by aid of his flash-lamp, seeking some sign of struggle to prove she had not left him willingly, and finding none. When a voice brought him momentarily out of his distraction, he looked up wildly to discover Ducroix standing over him, his stout person chastely swathed, in a quilted dressing-gown and trousers, his expression one of stupefaction. "'Well, monsieur, well?' the Minister of War demanded irritably. "'What?' I repeat, "'what are you doing here?' Lanyard essayed response, choked up and gulped. He rose and stood swaying, showing a stricken face. "'Eh?' Duquois insisted with an accent of exasperation. "'Why do you stand glaring at me like that? Eh? Come, monsieur, what ails you?' "'I have arranged everything, I say. Where is mademoiselle?' Lanyard made a broken gesture. "'Gone,' he muttered forlornly. Instantly the countenance of the stout Frenchman was lightened with a gleam of eager interest, inveterate romantic that he was, and he stepped nearer, peering closely into the face of the adventurer. "'Gone?' he echoed. "'Mademoiselle? Your sweetheart, eh?' Lanyard assented with a disconsolate nod and sigh. Impatiently, Ducoy caught him by the sleeve. Come, he insisted, tugging, but come at once into the house. Now, monsieur, now at length you enlist all one's sympathies. Come, I say. Is it your desire that I catch my death of cold? Indifferently, Lanyard suffered himself to be led away. He was, indeed, barely conscious of what was happening. All his being was possessed by the thought that she had forsaken him, and he could well guess why. Impossible for such a one as she, to contemplate without a shudder association with the man who had been what he had been. Infatuate! To have dreamed that she would tolerate the devotion of a criminal, that she could ever forget his identity with the lone wolf. Inevitably, soon or late, she must have fled that ignominious thought in dread and horror, daring whatever consequences to escape and forget both it and him. And better now, perhaps, than later. End of chapter 17